Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you never noticed it up there before, now you notice that it's gone, right? And it might even look very, well, starkly blank up there. Today, as we celebrate the ascension of Christ, we look at a promise fulfilled to us, and we look at Christ going to sit at the right hand of God. And uh, we look at what that hope is for us then, that he has gone to prepare a place for us, that he is no longer here, but he is where we are to be. And that doesn't mean that he's not with us. It just means that he's not tangibly in a place where we grab his hand, wrapped our arms around him as he appeared to the disciples after he was resurrected. That he has gone to be able to prepare that place for us. It's also now that we look at the third person in the Trinity of our triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we begin to look at God, the Holy Spirit, and God still being with us. It's a challenge to think of of things as you look at them when they're with you and when they're gone. And so I I want you to think about it. Do do you remember when we lit the Christ candle? Um, You might not remember it necessarily so. Uh, There were three purple flowers, uh, three three purple candles and a pink candle around it, and it was in the middle. It's the Christ candle. It's why when we go through confirmation, when I tell the kids, I say, it's Jesus's birthday candle. Have you ever seen a bigger birthday candle? Because normally that big white candle, when do we first light it? Christmas on Jesus's birthday. And so you're not going to see that candle until guess when? Christmas. All right. And we're going to have 26, 27 weeks of Pentecost. Uh, spending some time with the Holy Spirit. And here is what is so wonderful about that. As Jesus begins to give instructions today, as he's talking and he talks in that gospel lesson, and he speaks with the disciples, did you catch the disciples' reaction that is not their normal reaction, but it's their new normal reaction? He says this, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They weren't afraid. They weren't messing it up. They got it. They weren't locking themselves in an upper room anymore. They weren't afraid for their lives. They got it. They felt blessed to know what Christ had accomplished on their behalf. They felt blessed to know that God had kept his promise and followed through on his covenant. They felt blessed to know that the Savior was real, the Messiah was true, that Christ did what they could not do. And they felt blessed to be able to begin to share that hope with others. And for the first time in a long time of all the stories and parables that Jesus was telling, he didn't sit there and challenge them in their way of thinking. He said, you know what to do, now go and do it. And they felt blessed to be able to share that hope. It's always funny when you change something that you're reminded of changes. Lutherans are terrible at change, just so you know. Um, it could be from our good old German heritage. It could just be because we're stubborn. It could just be because we're people and people are people. So who knows what all comes into play with it. Um, I always like to say Lutherans have two options. We've never done it that way before or ponder anew what the Almighty can do. It's somewhere, you know, it's one or the other, right? And so as you see the candle gone, already from first service, uh, they are laughing. Uh, I had two people come back in because they wanted to see me put it back just to know that I was putting it back. And I said, but it's not going to be there until Christmas. And I said, but you need to know why it's there because all this stuff behind me isn't just stuff to be up here. It's something for 
us so that we might know the connection and hope that we have from up above. It's not just stuff that's just simply symbolic. It's stuff that has a message and reminds us of something. And so we don't just put things up here so that we go through. It's not that we put a cross on our neck and sit there and just say it's a nice piece of jewelry. It's supposed to remind us of something every time we touch it or, or if we take it off and we know what's been removed or there's something missing, right? And so it's good for us to know that something is missing. But it's also good for us to know that something is provided even though it's not there. And so this allows us opportunity as Christians to see who the Holy Spirit is in our lives through God. And so we're very thankful that he continues to provide that hope for us. Things seem to change all the time. And what's interesting about things changing is uh, throughout history, things change. Uh, History changes constantly and sometimes history repeats itself and sometimes history just rhymes, but it keeps going and going and going. And there's things that seem familiar. There's things that seem new. And as things change, sometimes we forget about them and sometimes we remember them very well. And as we look at history uh, in the in the Lutheran church, there's been things that have changed over time. Uh, One of them came in the late 20s, early 30s, I remember my great-grandparents telling me this story. So great-grandma Alma and great-grandpa Walter, who was August Walter, who my Gus is named after. Uh, good old uh, lifelong Lutherans, Oma and Opa, if you rather know them that way. Uh, they were growing up in Nebraska, and they were there in the late 20s, 30s, which was when the Great Depression hit and the Dust Bowl occurred. Uh, numerous people were losing their family farms, their livelihood, moving out. They didn't know how to take care of everything. Uh, war was coming in Europe. Nobody knew what was going to happen next. They had began to till up land that should have never been put to plow. They should have never tried to farm it. It was part of the great American desert. There were still uh, prickly pear cacti that grew, but they were trying to plant crops in it, right? Not a good place to, to build anything, to plant anything. And so people didn't know what to do next, but as good, faithful people, they still went to church each week. And you talk about times changing. Uh, Grandpa Walter and Grandma Alma, as they went to church, uh, the men still sat on one side and the women sat on the other side and the kids sat up in the balcony. Well, let me rephrase it. The kids that knew how to listen and were scared to death what would happen if they didn't listen sat up in the balcony. All right. And you talk about a, a, a different age, a different time. What was funny is my grandma Alma asked Pastor Ott, O-T-T-E, I think, um, that she had been to a friend, uh, a family member's church. And, and there the men and the women got to sit beside each other. Spouses got to sit uh, next to one another. And she asked why we didn't do that. And he said, because nobody has done it yet. So grandma Alma being the good um, the, the good old uh, stubborn German Lutheran that she was, uh, not a shrinking violet by any means, uh, next week came to church and she sat down by Grandpa Walter. And she was the only woman sitting next to her husband. All the other women were still over there. All the men were still over there. And uh, lo and behold, she didn't even bat an eye at it whatsoever. The next week came and guess what happened? Every woman was sitting by her husband. A little bit of change along the way. Still other changes come and go. I remember talking with my grandparents, Grandpa Lauren and Grandma Jean, and it was the 50s, early 50s, uh, right after World War II. Um, Not that everything was in surplus, but uh, people were learning how to 
how to navigate without having to scrimp by or uh, having supplies in short demand. And so there was things that hadn't been available at their fingertips during the war that they now had available. And grandma and grandpa got called into the pastor's office. I should probably reenact this. This would be fun, right? We we can go back to that. I'll start calling you all into the pastor's office, right? But they got called into the pastor's office, and it was not a pleasant discussion. They were scolded big time uh, because they had done something that they weren't supposed to do. And what grandma and grandpa had done in the early 50s, they bought life insurance. Did you know that in America and Christianity for the longest time that was frowned upon? Because the reason it was frowned upon, the idea was, is if you were buying life insurance, who weren't you placing your life into the hands of? God. And so, um, as they begin to understand, you know, that one we could go back to because it'd be a lot cheaper for me, right? I could save a little money there. But no, it's changes that happen, right? And we don't always know how things come and go and where stories go with them. But for the longest time, it was a concern that if people were getting life insurance, that they weren't depending upon God, okay? And we know that it's not a matter of faith with that. It's taking care of our family and different things that happen. And so, we look at it differently today as things change, And so as things change, often we have questions about those changes. And as we look at those different changes, often we don't always understand everything. And when we don't understand something, we so often don't feel like we have hope. And if we don't have hope, we get really worried. And if we're really worried, we get scared. And if we're scared, we lose faith. And so today, I want to talk to you about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. The hope that we have in him. But how do we have hope in him when he's not here anymore? When we can't literally just go and grab his hand, wrap our arms around him. When we can't do as Thomas did, where we can't just put our fingers right there and touch the holes. Where we can't place our hand on his side and know that it's him. What, what do you and I do? And that's where the words that were spoken by Jesus right before he ascended are so beautiful. Because he has an expectation of the hope that we're supposed to live in. And the hope that we're supposed to live in, he's taught and spent time teaching it. And it's a truth that can be depended upon. And did you catch it? It says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, all the, in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. He asked us to do it along with the disciples. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And they go about blessing and praising him. Because they know what they've been entrusted. They know the hope that they have. Here's the challenge with hope. You and I live still in a sinful and broken world. And when you live in a sinful and broken world, sins sometimes negate the hope. When you live in a sinful and broken world and things aren't always pleasant, they're just downright bad, sometimes it feels like it negates the hope, or it mitigates it, or it squishes it down. The thing is, is sometimes when things aren't going right, you and I let it impact our hope and try to figure out if we really do have hope in something. Here's the thing about hope. It says that in Hebrews 11:1 1, that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And so hope isn't something that is dependent upon what else is going on. Hope isn't something that has a truth attached to it that changes if things are good or bad. 
Hope isn't something that should shift just because you had a bad day or a good day. The hope should be constant based upon the truth that you know. The truth that you and I know as we celebrate Ascension Sunday is that Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. Who else could go and prepare a place for us? Who else would come into this world, lay down his life, die a death that we cannot die, defeat the devil, defeat the grave, and our victory is his victory? Who else could follow through on his father's promise and not be sinful? Instead, overcome all those sins and overcome death and on the third day rise from the dead so that his victory could be our victory so that we can live in that truth of that hope. None other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. But yet you and I get, well, entangled with, get tripped up by. And exactly what we see with the disciples is what Jesus is asking us to do and reminding us to do in the hope that we have, that we're supposed to continue to live in it. Not to question it, not to be challenged. We're supposed to continue to live in it. Even while everything circles around us or even attacks us or comes in at us or presses in at us. Whatever the sins might be, whether our own or somebody else's, that we still live in that hope because of the truth that is in that hope in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't walk alongside us anymore because he's already done what he needed to do. And he's living where he needs to live because he's preparing a place for us. Now here's something that is absolutely wonderful in the truth of who our Heavenly Father is. He knows us so well that that doesn't always work out too well for us. Just to leave us be, does it? That even when he speaks a truth to us on how well we receive it, how well we live in it, and how often we remember it. And so God the Father through Jesus his Son also sends to us the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit goes with us. So as we turn the pages of Scripture, there the Holy Spirit dwells with us in our head and our heart. As we come to the Lord's table, there we receive the forgiveness of sins. As we're washed over in the waters of baptism, there the Spirit is with us. That's not something that we hope for to happen. That's a truth that we live in. Do you see the difference there? It's not something that we hope will come to play. It's not something that we hope might come to fruition. It's not something that we hope might actually happen. It's a truth that we live in. It's a truth that we're centered in. It's a truth that we're grounded in. It's a truth that is a foundation that we stand on. And so even though Christ has ascended up into heaven, he hasn't left us alone. Because the Spirit is still with us. Don't get me wrong, though. Hope can be attacked, can it? You and I can experience affliction. We can be infected by the sins that we have. We can be overcome by the sins of the world and the sins of the person that we see in the mirror. You and I can be overcome by every sin that we have and the sin of others. And as we're overcome by those sins, we begin to question the hope that we have. Because all of a sudden it makes us wonder if today isn't going the way it's supposed to, will tomorrow go the way it's supposed to? And if tomorrow doesn't go the way it's supposed to, what about the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year? What is all eternity going to look like if today looked like this? But sometimes you and I forget the truth of the hope that we have of what Christ already accomplished is true for today, true for yesterday, true for tomorrow, true for eternity. That he accomplished it for all time, not just for a moment. And so you and I deal with sin and all the afflictions that come along with it. It's hard to talk about hope when it's not right. When the life... When your life doesn't feel right, it's hard to talk about hope. 
when somebody that you love dearly is afflicted by their sins, it's hard to talk about hope. When you've seen sins last more than a generation, when you've seen sins come in and remove somebody from their faith, when you've seen sin come into a world and through disease damage a body so much that that body will never heal the way that it's capable. When you see sin come in and you see it prevalent right in your face in the form of death, when you see sin come into your own life and you look addiction in the mirror, when you see sin come into your own life and you have to address a family member about drugs missing out of a cabinet, when you see sin come into your own life and you see it tear families apart through divorce, when you see it come in and tear families apart with affairs, when you see it come into families and rip them apart because of lies and not speaking truth, when you see sin come into a life and you see it tear things apart because of the sin that rips it apart. It's hard to live in hope, isn't it? And when you see sin come into a life and through disease, it doesn't allow you to look the way that you once looked. And when you think that things are going to get better and they seem to just get worse. When you see sin come into your life and you see your kid treated in a way that you don't want them to be treated because of the sin in somebody else's life. When you see sin come into the world and you don't aren't able to function the way that you want to, to make ends meet in the way because the system's broke or things that you want to do are broken and you see it infiltrate in that way, it's hard to live in hope, isn't it? And then the preacher says, well, just live in the truth and the hope. The reason it becomes a challenge is because sometimes we think hope is something we're working towards. Of having hope. But hope, again, I'll say it, even whatever the sin might be, however it inflicts, however it infiltrates, sin, hope is the truth that you live in today. Hope is these simple words that as Jesus speaks and he reminds them, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Do you think the disciples didn't have to deal with any sin? Oh, they dealt with it, their own and the sins of others. But they continued to live in the hope that Christ presented to them and blessings of the Spirit walking along with them. As he opened their minds and scriptures and said to them, this is the hope they lived in. Knowing that Christ should suffer on the third day, he rose from the dead. That they repented, they received forgiveness. They proclaimed that forgiveness that they received as well as others to all the nations. They began in Jerusalem. They witnessed these things and gave testimony to it. They were sent the promise of the Father upon them. They were clothed with power from on high. And they went out to Bethany and they lift up their hands and they blessed them. And he blessed them. Are you just running after hope? Or are you living in it? Is your hope torn down? Or is it being built up? When you gather around others, do you know the truth that has been given to you by your Savior? Or is it a truth that you hope to sometime get to? In Christ this day and always, the testimony that he has given, the life that he has lived, the death that he has died, the victory that he has won, has been won for you and for me and for all others. May this be your sure and certain hope this day regardless of the affliction that you face. And as you face that affliction, may you let others know the trials and the perils that you face and who walks alongside you in that by the gifting of the Spirit and of your Savior, Jesus Christ. May it be your sure and certain hope. And as others question their own hope, may you come alongside them to be a comforting hand in the perils that they face 
so they may never doubt what Christ has also accomplished for them. Amen.